You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, friends. Great to have you with us today. We very much appreciate you making disciples of the nations and appreciate you listening to this podcast today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now, somewhere today, making those disciples we just talked about. So stay tuned. Stay encouraged. We've got a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks. Good to have you with us today. And, you know, we kind of... During our program, we did a little thing for a while, and a lot of people said they really liked it. So uh, I uh, I rarely do, th- rarely do things people really like, so I thought, well, let me get back to that. And it was a uh, a discipleship thing based on the books of the Bible. Let's just take one book of the Bible, no matter how small or large it is, and just say, what are five discipleship principles there that uh, we ought to be thinking about? And uh, I, I got a really tough one today, and so I went to the tall timber of my life. Uh, Jeff Bacus is with us, and uh, Jeff is an adjunct professor uh, at the college that we have here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and I don't know if you even knew we had a college, but Jeff, welcome to the broadcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right, so tell us about that that college now. We actually had some really exciting news this week about that college. Yes, so this week we were granted accreditation by the Association of Biblical Higher Education, so uh, also known as ABHE. So we're really excited about that. Uh, it's going to make it's it's an accredited. Uh, we're an accredited college now. People will be able to have access to student loans and make it easier for students to get into the college and afford college. And it's just it's a great opportunity for us and for students who are now getting an accredited education um, so we can you know transfer credits are all all of that is easier now because of our accreditation so it's really exciting great. news yeah oh yeah so people need to need to make the phone call actually what we really encourage you to do is just go to the website wbs.edu check out the college and uh jeff there's a lot of reasons a lot of really great reasons to come to this college uh, at Wesley Biblical Seminary, but one of them is the price is right. It is great, yes. Uh, so if you think, man, I like to go to college, but I'm just not going to be able to afford it. I, uh, we think you can afford this. You're you're going to really like the price. So, but having said that, it's the price is right for the quality of instruction. Jeff is the one of the adjunct professors, but a lot of the almost everybody have their PhD, so it's not like we're learning from guys that just got their uh, their their undergraduate degree or even just got their master's. And of course, Jeff is working on his doctorate. Hey, tell us about that just a minute here, Jeff. What uh what are you working on, uh, and how's the progress on that? The progress is going well. I just finished up, or I'm about to finish up another chapter, so I'm really excited about that. And this this chapter really focused on the idea of a, of trial of divinities. So kind of the God of the Bible, Yahweh, against pagan gods and other lesser gods, non-gods, if you will. And so it's really, it was a really fascinating study. Uh, it was great to be able to go through the biblical accounts and some of the hagiographical accounts of, um, of Yahweh versus other gods and mm-hmm. how that all plays out and uh, the, the victory that always happens. You know, that's the theme that Yahweh always prevails. 
And so that's, it was really a, a great study. So I'm excited about it. Um, and excited that where, you know, some future work might be in that area. This was a very small section of my dissertation on St. Pastorick. And so it might be an area worth exploring in, in future yeah. research. Right. So. And that's what research needs to do. It needs to get it down to a little itty bitty thing and go into depth into that thing. We're going to do five discipleship principles from the book of Esther. Like I'm going to tell you right now, that's a little bit of a challenge, but they're there. Uh, Jeff will say they are there. And so we're going to Go to Jeff Bacus here in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to tell you about another friend of mine named Ethan Kelly. He works with Providence Capital Management, specializing in personal and institutional investment management. So he would like to have an audience with you so he could somehow convince you that uh, you're going to like him as much as I do. And I do like Ethan Kelly. Uh, you can stay in touch with him by Ethan at Providence CM Capital Management, Providence cm.com ethan at providencecm.com check out their website uh we think that you'll really appreciate what you find from ethan kelly and what he can possibly do for you i trust the guy uh love him and uh, i think you will too once you hear more about what he can do for you that's providence capital management all right so let's go uh let's go here jeff to five discipleship principles principles from the book of esther number one is Number one, I think it's the most obvious, maybe not obvious to, to everyone, but the book does not contain the name of God. It's the only book in the Bible that does not contain the name of God. And that is significant because God is obviously moving yeah. in that reality that, uh, I guess, silence uh, kind of pervades the rest of these lessons, if you will. God is not silent, even though he's not named in the book. And even in our darkest times, when God does seem distant, he's still working and he's still moving. And that is something that people need to hear in their discipleship journey. It's not always going to be, we just had the Asbury revival. Um, it's still going on and, and that has spread throughout the globe, but not Every season is like the Asbury revival and yeah. there'll be seasons in our life where we're, you know, we're find ourselves in a valley. I heard one, uh, one pastor, professor, former professor say while he was in ministry, there was a season of about five years where he felt the Lord was just distant from him, but he was still working. He was yeah, still five, moving. And five years, that's quite a slog. <laughs> that's a long Time, but he learned a lot within those five years and learned to trust in the Lord and in his faithfulness and in his word on a, at a deeper level, even though he couldn't feel necessary, feel, you know, the Lord's presence, he knew that he was still with them. So I think that reality throughout the book of Esther does, uh, does inform the rest of these lessons, I, I think, if you will. Yeah. Now, let, do this for us real quick. Just give us a, a big uh, oversight of the book, right? So just the, the storyline. So as we dip into these principles, we know what they're derived from. So what's the storyline sure. real quick? So very, it's, it's a relatively short book. I mean, you can read it in, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, maybe even less if you're a quick reader. I'm not. I like to kind of go through these systematically, but it's only 10 chapters. And really, it takes place during uh, the exile. Um, after Jerusalem was sacked, it was destroyed, 586, the, 
the uh, nation of Israel was then taken into exile. And this book happens during that time. So King Xerxes is on the throne and his wife doesn't do what was expected of a wife in chapter one during that time. And so it, as you're reading through Esther, there are some things you're going, what is going on? This is just weird. And chapter one is one of those weird things where it was expected for a wife to do certain things and she doesn't do those certain things, wink, wink. And so she is asked aside. She is just, she's out of there. So the king now needs a new wife. Okay. So where do we get the new wife? Well, basically uh, let's have a, a beauty pageant. Let's bring all of these beautiful women into the palace, into the harem, and let's let's uh, let's see who pleases the king. And there was a, a Jewish man named Mordecai who raised uh, Esther, who is the the namesake of the book. And so he raises Esther. Esther is gorgeous. She is just drop dead gorgeous. And so she gets picked to be. Uh, part of the part of the king's, you know, uh, harem, if you will, and so um, she is the most beautiful woman in all the land, essentially. And the king loves her and and uh, makes her the queen. Now, kind of little uh, while that is going on, there is this conspiracy to actually kill the king, to assassinate the king. Mordecai, who is Esther's um, Esther's godfather if you will uh uncovers that conspiracy unbeknownst to the king so while queen esther is now in the palace this plot is uncovered by mordecai but the king doesn't know about it and there's another guy named haman so there's kind of a lot of things going on here haman has a he has it out for the jewish people he hates the jewish people he wants them destroyed and uh, Mordecai gets wind of this and says, Esther, you need to do something about this. You need to go to the king and you need to save your people. And so she does that. She goes to the king and she has a really cool strategy and how to do that. And she uncovers that Hammond, who is like the king's right-hand man, is, uh, is going to wipe out the queen's people. And King Xerxes says, that's not happening. And so he eventually has Haman, um, Haman destroyed. Haman actually wants Mordecai. He hates Mordecai. So he wants Mordecai to be impaled on this pole. And it ends up that King Xerxes actually impales Haman on the pole that was supposed to be for Mordecai. Mm. It's kind of it's kind of kind of funny how that happens. But it's found out. The king finds out that not only. Uh, not only does Haman want to wipe out the people, but Mordecai actually saved him from this assassination attempt. He uncovered that. So Mordecai is now exalted to Haman's place. So now the Jewish people have a queen in the court and essentially the right-hand man to the king. And so from destruction, now the Jewish people find themselves relatively places of, of high power and there's a and whole there's a whole jewish feast that's given to this i mean they, they still celebrate there is right? there is uh the the feast of purim sorry purim p-u-r-i-m and if you have a calendar it's right on the calendar you'll see it there and it is it is a feast that uh that harkens back to the book of esther 
and is in remembrance of the fact that they were going to be annihilated. Right. They were going to be wiped out for the uh, courage of Queen Esther. Yes. And for the courage of Mordecai, too. Okay, so let's get into this. Five discipleship principles. Number one, you said God is not mentioned, but he's at work anyway. And there's going to come times in our life when we have, you know, in Christian history, we talk about the dark night of the soul. There's going to be times we, when we have the dark night of the soul, or maybe like your pastor friend, five extended years where you just don't feel like he's working at all, but he is nonetheless working. So that's principle number one. God's not mentioned Esther, working anyway. Number two, discipleship principle. Number two, have a Mordecai in your life. Mm. Have a Mordecai in your life. Mordecai um, in uh, chapter two, starting at verse five, it says, now there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jared, the son of Shemai, the, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, who had brought up because she uh, had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So Mordecai essentially adopts Esther. He adopts her not only as a father figure, but also as a spiritual figure. Because mm. as we, as we, as you read through the book of Esther, Esther knows what to do, not just politically. She's not just politically savvy. She is spiritually grounded. That's a good word. And having that, and so it's very clear that Mordecai didn't just raise her, but that he was intentional with Esther. So how do we get that kind of, with her? If, if I don't have that person in my life right now, how do I get that person? How that do is I, a really. How do I get a Mordecai? I want a Mordecai. How do I get one? Well, uh, you have to find one. You mm -hmm. you have to you have to get connected to a church, get connected to a pastor who can point you to a Mordecai. A lot of times this happens in the in the context of small groups. Um, a lot of churches have great, robust small group ministries, but. Right. Sometimes you have to be active in that and say, hey, where is it? Where's my small group? Where are my people? Where can I get plugged into? And maybe in that context, there's one or two people only that will be your Mordecai. Right. That's good. It, it has to be intentional. So let me tell you the, what I what I've done in my life. And, and God brought this person in my life. First off, you need to pray for that Mordecai. You need to pray and, and make it a matter of prayer. It might be a matter of prayer for years, but mm -hmm. for long months, I, Jesus, give me a Mordecai figure in my life. And then one day that person showed up for me. And uh, so you got to be aggressive at that point. Can we spend time together? And I actually talked about this in chapel uh, on Wednesday. If anybody yeah. wants to go back and listen to you, I guess they can do that. Listen to Wesley Biblical Seminary Chapels on, on our Facebook page or otherwise. So and the whole thing was very simple. We would get together by phone call at 10 a.m. on Fridays, and he would say, so what's up? And I would ask a question, and he would answer it for the next hour, <laughs> basically. Now, there was a lot of back and forth. There were a lot of questions folded in there, but it was always the agenda that I set, and I would ask a question, and he would come back. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it was practical. Sometimes a very life issue kind of stuff. That's great stuff. I, I, I love that. Thank you for that, Jeff. That, that 
everyone needs someone like that in their life. And by the way, we did that for five years. He finally died of cancer. And mm -hmm. nonetheless, my life, then I'd start thinking, I need to be a Mordecai yeah. for some young person. So begin thinking, maybe I need to aggressively ask some younger, maybe a high school, junior high kid, or even a college kid to say, listen, let me uh, enter into your life and let's uh, let's just have some meals together. Let's talk things through. That's good. Okay. So good. Uh, th three principles that we're working on right now. And the third one is? Third one is don't miss God's invitation to do something for him. Mm. Now we know the name of God is not mentioned in this book, but he's working. And it's interesting. And um, let's let's go to chapter four, chapter four, verse 12 through 14. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, they're, they're in conversation. He sent back this answer. This is this is it. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. This is when the plot was, was happening to, to wipe out all the Jewish people. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you will have come to your royal position for such a time oh, as beautiful. this. Beautiful. That, that is startling, one. Because... Mordecai, God through Mordecai was inviting Esther to enter into his plans. And so many times we can miss out on what God is doing because we're, we're not paying attention mm. or we're too scared or there are a number of reasons why we don't want to get on with what God is doing in our lives or, or in the life of another person. God is working. We need to be aware of how he is working and jump on to his mission in the world. That's beautiful stuff. And that's so, and that's the famous line out of Esther, isn't it? For such a time as this. For such a time as this. And, and the thing is, sometimes you don't know. I, I heard it said about football games, you know, they're always decided in about 90 seconds. You just mm. don't know which 90 seconds. So you always got to be at your best, always try to be discerning, always have wisdom. And when the time's ripe, you got to go for it. That's a good word. All right. Principle number four out of the book of Esther, the Sopship principles. Number four, prepare yourself for God to move. Hmm. Prepare yourself for God to move right after that, right after that. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She did not enter into this lightly and she prepared herself with a group, with a community around her to do the task that was given to, to her. It wasn't just that she blindly went in and did it. She spent three days praying and fasting before she moved. So many times in our lives, when God wants to work, we need to prepare for that work. Because it's not our work, it's God's work. And we need to ask ourselves, do I want this work of God? Am I prepared spiritually for this? Is there anything in my life that might be hindering God's work 
in me. We need to prepare for God's movements. Let's talk about that fasting piece just a minute. I think a lot of people get the prayer piece. You know, we like to cry out to God. We do cry out to God. Mm -hmm. uh, not many people fast. Uh, and I know there are pockets of fasting. There's some good teaching out there on fasting, but not many people do it much anyway. And I'm, I'm mindful that the early church did it twice a week. They would go on about a 24-hour fast twice a week that the early Methodists picked up on that practice and said, yeah, we're going to do the same thing. Uh, is something lacking out of our spiritual lives, do you think, Jeff, because we don't fast? Yeah, I think it can. It absolutely can. Because when we fast, we are our, our Dr. Blakemore says that we are spiritually biological and biologically spiritual. And it's what that that is just reverberates in my mind uh, when whenever I hear him teaching. That's just something that has uh, that has stuck with me. And so when we fast, we are we are not only saying spiritually, but but physically, we are putting ourselves in a physical position for God to work in us in a different and a unique way. With the hunger pains come a reminder that we are not we are not reliant on on food nourishment. We're relying on God for our nourishment. And there's something that happens when we put our when the physical realm meets the spiritual realm. Um, it, it's it's kind of the same idea. No, uh, as as the Eucharist, that's putting the the physical and the spiritual together. Something happens in there. It is a means of grace, which so many people miss out on because they don't understand it, or because they're scared of it, or because that eating is just such a habit. When we deny ourselves that, it redirects us. Even in a physical way, it's 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 akin to getting on our knees when we're praying. This is a physical symbol. This is a physical symbol of my heart posture to the Lord. There's something powerful about that. Right. I think uh, I think a lot of fasting, simply in the most prosperous nation in the world, uh, we don't like to be even a little unpleasant. And and fasting is a, a little. It's just a little, but a little unpleasant. And I'm, I'm reminded that uh, sometimes you got to tell your stomach who's in control here and that it's not. Uh, I think self-denial is a big part of fasting. And it's just saying, I'm going to deny myself so I can go to the Lord more fully. And I think the Lord says, do it the way I want you to do it in the Sermon on the Mount, and you will be rewarded. I don't know. I, yes. I, most everybody's into the reward part. And, and definitely Esther understood the rewards of fasting and praying. And boy, were they ever rewarded. All right. Oh, yeah. Fifth principle. Fifth discipleship principle from the book of Esther. Uh, fifth one, celebrate your victories. Now we touched on this a little earlier, but celebrate your victories. This, uh, the, the, there is, there's a month, a uh, yearly festival dedicated to this victory. And I think uh, that is something that we miss when God does something in our lives. We need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate what God, how God has moved in Asbury. We need to celebrate the victories, the, the, the sin that he's led us out of. Celebrate who you are now in Christ. Mm. And it is so important over and over the theme of remembering pops up, especially in the Old Testament. Remember what God has done for you. When we celebrate our victories, we're remembering what God has done in our lives. But not only that, we need to tell other people about our victories. That's we need to tell other people about our victories because when we do that, uh, I love, uh, 
my text is in Latin, the, the one I'm doing for my PhD. And so sometimes I'll read the Bible in Latin. And one of the, one of the things that has stuck out to me in, in doing that is that the word for witness, uh, the word for witness in Latin is testimonium. Testimonium. So when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, you will be my testimonium. You will be my testimony. We are God's testimony to the world. Celebrate our victories. We're not puffing up ourselves. We're saying God has done something. We are God's testimony to the world. And that is an important thing because it points our hearts and those parts of those around us to God. That's good. That's a good word. Yeah. And I think there's a, that can be extended to all kinds of things. Our church ought to be a testimony to the goodness of God. Our, our, our marriages ought to be, our, our, the way we parent ought to be. That's, that's, a, that's a really a great word right there. Well, listen, uh, and they had a feast, the, the Feast of Purim, and they still celebrate it because this is an incredible day in the life of Israel. And uh, it's just a, a beautiful thing that God did. It is. So it is. there you go. Jeff Bacus, uh, who is a adjunct professor of the new uh, Wesley College at Wesley Biblical Seminary. So we just call it the College at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And uh, we're looking forward to, to seeing how your uh, your teaching career kind of rolls out as a whole, but definitely with uh, uh, with the college there. And uh, we got some exciting days ahead, Jeff. Absolutely. It's All very right. exciting. All right, so it's a wrap. It's an honor to have you listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedemann today. Check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship. We're also up now on YouTube. Amazing. It's a miracle. We're on YouTube, so check that out and send it out to your friends. Uh, we just want you to check out our books at Amazon.com, and we've got a little uh, place called teleosbooks.com, but you know, listen, just go to Amazon and punch up the name Friedemann and see what you find, and always, always tell others about a podcast. Remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to life-changing discipleship today. Love God. Live clean. Keep the faith. Make disciples. And God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Mm-hmm.